One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombus donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombus.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices Down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have it get 30, 30, get 30, better get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, better get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Mark. Hi, Liz. Hi, Bettys.、Mm-hmm. I loved playing that little snip from a little voice memo that we got from a longtime listener and、mm-hmm. friend of the show, Jupe. We love Jupe. He's so kind. And, it's, and we love to get those encouraging, especially a voice memo.、Mm-hmm. I want to hear all your voices. I, I want to know what you sound How like. How do they get them to you? It's so easy. You can go to your DMs in either Facebook or Instagram, and instead of typing, just、mm-hmm. click on the little microphone,、mm-hmm. and it'll send me a voice memo. Okay. So that way you can send them in for the show, which by the way, we need a lot more of、yeah. because I've been greedy and I've been using three per episode.、Uh-huh. So, and then one sweet woman sent in one because I gave an example. I said, So say something like, Hi, I'm from Liz. I'm from Charleston <laughs> and you're listening to my grandma's diaries. And she sent in one that said, Hi, I'm Liz. I'm from Charleston. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and bless her heart. If you're listening, darling, please send us another one because With, I came across it when I was recording、yeah. and then it was red. So I don't know. We get so many. Any、yeah. messages. But yes, y'all send in more of those、um, openers for us because we love them. And we did a video and they're all over the world, these folks. Oh my gosh. And、Amsterdam、people chimed and... in from all over on the Facebook、yes. video that we posted. And that's what gave me the idea bam, 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 that bam, these bam. people need to tell me who they are and they need to get in touch with me immediately. Do it. And also, speaking of Jupe, he is、mm-hmm. one of our Patreon supporters. He is. And we could not, literally, we could not、mm. do this podcast without the Patreon because we、yep. both have jobs. And to do this, we have to take time away from. Work、uh-huh. and you guys are being so kind to support us, and that's why we've added more to the five dollar level.、Uh-huh. Before you got to hear lovely Jupe talk, you might have had to sit through three commercials, probably about Amazon or Indeed or something like that. If you would love to listen to this podcast without any ads, Join us at the $5 level on the Patreon and you can listen ad free. Now, you don't have to listen to it on the Patreon app. If that's like, oh God, one more app I need to download. When you join us, we'll send you a link and description of how to add this podcast to your regular podcast listening app. So you can add it to Apple, you can add it to Spotify, and all the directions are right there. If you don't still have your welcome email, you can find it by looking at the My Membership or the Overview part of your Patreon page. So 
So add it to your Apple and that way you can drive or work out and you don't have to skip commercials. Keep your hands on the wheel. We're saving lives Please. here by having a Patreon. That's <laughs> that's right. That's my take on it. <laughs> and not only will you get the ad free version of this podcast, you'll also get all the photos that I find in my research. And we're adding a new feature. Mm-hmm. OK, y'all, you don't you don't know this. But from day one, the twins will listen to an episode and they'll send me the sweetest text. And they're like, oh, that was so cool to hear about this. I didn't know about that. Or something like, hey, we knew this person and this is what they were like. I'm going to now add those to the Patreon. <laughs> so you'll get twin talk in the afternoon after this episode is dropped. <laughs> Later in the day, we'll have texts from Carolyn and Camille. <laughs> I love it. And I, I love it, too, because they're like, we knew her. We played with her. Yeah. We were in Bob Drum's funeral home running wow. around, probably hiding in caskets, playing hide and seek. I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> Are you kidding me with those two? I wouldn't either. So lots going on over there. And oh, but before we get started, Mm -hmm. Mark, I cannot believe that we missed this very important thing. Okay. Okay. Remember how in Elizabeth's address book, Mm -hmm. we found um, like a New York editor, fiction writer thing where she was sending in her stories and we thought, oh my God, it's on 42nd Street. We might have walked by it a million times. Mm -hmm. Mark, I don't know if there's anybody on the planet who does not know this building. Oh, really? Because this... <laughs> what is it? Did, it? Okay, it's 220 East 42nd Street, just a block and a half from Grand Central Terminal, and it is known as the Daily News Building. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So, right. It's a 37-story Art Deco skyscraper designed by Raymond Hood and John Howells, towering majestically above Midtown Manhattan. The building was originally the headquarters for the New New York Daily News. In addition to being recognized by New York City's landmark agency, the news building was also designated a National Historic Landmark in 1989 and most famously uh, made famous in the Superman television series. I was going to say, I thought that was that uh-huh. building. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yes. So that's, that's, what, where, she that's her... where she was sending her writing. Was it, what is it, the Daily News at the time? I don't know what it Do would have think? been at yeah. the time. Right. Huh. Or just maybe it was just... You know, a publishing company. I it could be. What's I mean, I'm sure building? it's a 37 cool. story building, so I'm sure. But wow. maybe she was sending them to the to the Daily News. Maybe they had a fiction yeah, yeah, section yeah. Yeah. in their Sunday paper. Cool. I'm sure they did. Isn't that so neat? Yeah. So I, it was for sale recently, mm-hmm. and I couldn't. Of course, if you, you have to ask. It? I could not. You know, maybe if you chipped in a little, we could buy it. So there was a big listing for it on somebody's real estate page, and that's where I got the information out of it. So Mm. isn't that so cool? That is. So that's our little pre-show. And now, welcome to My Grandma's Diaries. So now let's recap episode 30. Last week, Jack, oh my goodness. Okay. I have mm-hmm. it on my phone. I Jack had gone off to some month-long camp, mm-hmm. and I know what that camp is thanks oh. to a listener who just texted me today. Okay. This is, he, he went to the CMJC and it's the Christian Men's Job Corps, oh. a compassion ministry of something that equips men and women in a Christian context for life and employment. Okay. So I guess it was a month go away and learn how to be a good Christian businessman right. school. And right. that's what he did. Okay. And we found out that he would come home on the weekends. Yes. He brought her that sweet little gift. Also, I will apologize to all my listeners now because when I was editing episode 30, there's a moment in that podcast where I call out to my Amazon device 
to ask her a question. And as I was editing it, all my Amazon (laughs) devices in the house. (laughs) So everybody around America who's (laughs) around the world who's listening, you called out their Alexa? I I triggered triggered their device and I apologize for that. (laughs) But it was funny because in the same beat that Mm -hmm. she answered us on the podcast, she answered it in real time in my house. That It was really eerie. Was it the same answer? Of course, because it was what day of the week it was. Oh, right. Okay. (laughs) That's right. So... We apologize oh, here at the Mark and what Liz kind radio of world network. Do we live in at the what video? I'm sorry. I, I called us a Mark and Liz radio network. Oh, good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Elizabeth is still seeing other people, despite the fact that she and Jack are getting along well. She's still seeing Ted and even Bill comes by at one point. But Elizabeth's number one rival for Jack's attention, Kat, ran off at 1.30 in the morning to marry her sweet, sweet love, Ivan Bidewell. Oh, and then she and Ted decided just to be friends, so he's not your grandfather. But the very next night on the phone, they got in a fight. So I don't know, maybe (laughs) Ted wasn't really in on that (laughs) and Mm -hmm. kept wanting to date her. Who knows? But Jack keeps asking her to run off and get married with him and keep it a secret. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth has nothing to do with that. But the coolest part of last episode was when they went back to Step Rock for a visit. And we got to see all the old names again and hear all the old city names like Judsonia and Bald Knob. And they even stopped looking for Tommy Bird. Right. But he wasn't there. And I know she was heartbroken because he's so handsome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and oh, at the end of the episode ended with Elizabeth telling Jack that she loves him too. Right. Because remember, we speculated she was doing a lot of thank you. <laughs> right. That's right. I love you. Thank you. <laughs> I'll think about it. (laughs) And here we go. September 3rd, 1936. Helen and I baked some oatmeal cookies this morning. Dad came home in a 36 master coach that had belonged to Mr. Horsley. I took Dean, Helen, Dorothy, and Catherine riding. We picked up Kat, Mary Ellen, and Maxine, took them to Lutesville, picked up Frances as she was coming home, and rode some more. Jack asked me for a date. I was supposed to let him know whether I was to work or not. Maxine called, and I went to work for her at 7.30. Jack came up about 8.30. Maxine and Unc went to the rendezvous and didn't get back until 11. Jack and I walked home. Well, I found a picture of that car, a 36 Mm -hmm. Master Coach. So we'll have that on the Patreon for sure. September 9th, 1936. Worked all morning just doing things. Read the McCalls and fooled around. It started raining, so I took the car to get the kids. Found them at Hopkins. Mother had the music club tonight. Francis and I went to see Maxine. Hung around Allen's a while. Boots acted contrary and wouldn't come when we did, so we walked on. Got a letter from Reva, and Bill Wood was struck by lightning and killed instantly. What? I don't even know who oh. Bill Wood is. Okay. But he must be somebody that they know. But I looked it up. You nothing? Oh, no, I found him. Oh. William O. Wood was born in Judsonia in 1901, and he was a truck driver. He never got married, and he was struck by lightning on September 3rd of 1936 and killed instantly. Oh. It says it right on his death certificate. Mm-hmm. And it also says he was a farmer. And so? He lived? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's so somebody he that was Reba from Arkansas. Knew. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, matter of fact, let me see. Uh, I was wondering if they say, say the city. No, in Step Rock. He lived right there in Step Rock. Bill Wood. So I don't know. Um, I don't remember Elizabeth ever mentioning a Bill Wood. Because I certainly would have remembered looking him up and going, oh, my God. Right. So I was Googling in the newspapers.com to see, well, surely someone wrote an article about this. Mm-hmm. And they did not. 
But I found other um, lightning striking yeah. from that month and year yeah. in the newspaper. There was one from Fort Erie, Ontario, mm-hmm. and it says, Bolt rips gold ring, wearer escapes injury. Oh. Horace Barnett, 17, wouldn't trade his gold ring for any magic ring. Sleeping soundly through a thunderstorm, Horace woke with a jolt when a bolt of lightning flashed through the open window of his bedroom, ripped a piece of gold off the ring, and shot it out the window. Cool. Horrence, a bit shaky from his experience, was unscathed. (laughs) Oh, my God. So that was on September 11th. And then on September 9th, Stuttgart youth dies as lightning strikes. In Stuttgart, Arkansas, William Crawford, also 17, died instantly yesterday when lightning struck an oat drill planter he was working on with the Russell Green near here. The shock stunned Green. Yikes. I know. So three people Mm -hmm. struck by lightning within the same week Mm -hmm. in the bread basket of this country Mm -hmm. and uh, one, two of them dying. Wow. So wear your gold rings. See, you don't don't like to wear rings. Now you'll have to get a ring. Mm. But if I were a 17 year old boy in that month, I wouldn't leave the house. (laughs) But um, she was reading McCall's. She called it the McCall's, Uh which is always funny because when I say the Facebook or the Instagram, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm kidding. I'm making fun of my Self, I'm not a boomer. I'm kind of making fun of like the people who say that. But she did it. Mm-hmm. And that was before she was, well, I guess. Anyway. It's like saying, I guess I read the National Geographic, but you would say National Geographic. Yeah, it's weird where yeah. you put the the, the. I the read McCall's. the New York Times. True. Yeah. Uh, but I don't read the McCall's. The McCall's. Isn't yeah. that weird? Yeah. Anyway. That's like a lady's book. It was, a, I, I'm going to tell oh. you all about it. Aren't you lucky? <laughs> McCall's was a monthly American woman's magazine published by the McCall Corporation that enjoyed great popularity through much of the 20th century, peaking at a readership of 8.4 million in the early 1960s. The publication was established as a small format magazine called The Queen in 1873, but in 1897, it was renamed McCall's Magazine, The Queen of Fashion, and then later shortened to just McCall's. Some Subsequently, it grew in size to become a large format glossy, and it was one of the Seven Sisters group of women's service magazines. From June of 1949 until her death in 1962, Eleanor Roosevelt wrote a McCall column called If You Ask Me, and the former first lady gave brief answers to questions sent into the magazine. So she got a little Dear Abby gig. Yeah, she did. Rona Barrett. Starting in May of 1951 and lasting until 1995, Betsy McCall paper dolls were printed in most issues, and children could cut out the printed dolls in clothing, and for a small fee, like 10 cents or 25 cents, the paper dolls could be printed on cardboard and ordered. And Betsy McCall became so popular that various sized vinyl dolls were produced by Ideal and American Character Dolls. So it was a big deal. Mm -hmm. Now, the one reason I wanted to get into this, for a while they had a film critic who worked for them. Her name was Pauline Kale, and she worked for McCall's from 65 to 66. Not very long. She barely makes it a year. Well, she got fired because she she wrote a highly unfavorable review of The Sound of Music. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. You don't do that. And I have it right here. Set in Austria in 1938, this is a tribute to the freshness that is so mechanically engineered and so shrewdly calculated that the background music rises, the already soft focus blurs and melts, and upon the instant, you can hear all those noses blowing in the theater. Whom could this operetta offend? 
Only those of us who, despite the fact that we may respond, loathe being manipulated in this way and are aware of how cheap and ready-made are the responses we are made to feel. We may become even more aware of the way we have been turned into emotional and aesthetic imbeciles when we hear ourselves humming the sickly goody-goody songs. The dauntless, scrubbed-face heroine Julie Andrews, in training to become a nun, is sent from the convent to serve as a governess to the motherless Von Trapp children and turns them into a happy little troop of singers before marrying their father, Christopher Plummer. She says goodbye to the nuns and leaves them outside at the fence as she enters the cathedral to be married, squeezed again, and the moisture comes out of thousands, millions of eyes and noses. Wasn't there perhaps one little Von Trapp who didn't want to sing his head off (laughs) or who screamed that he wouldn't act out little glockenspiel routines for Papa's party guests or who got nervous and threw up if he had a chance to get on a stage? I know. The only thing the director, Robert Wise, couldn't smooth out was the sinister, archly decadent performance by Christopher Plummer. He of the thin, twisted smile. He seems to be in a different movie altogether. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, she was so I guess she didn't like it. Yeah. No, she didn't quite like the sound of music. <laughs> um, which in all, honestly, uh, honestly, she's right. I, I would say but I probably agree, but I, still. I do, but I loved it. <laughs> yes, I mean, it exactly. used to come on like Sweet around movie. Christmas time every year right. and dad and I would get ice cream and get so excited mm-hmm. to watch it. And Good. I'd fall asleep before they ever crossed the Swiss <laughs> Alps because it was such a dang long movie mm-hmm. with commercials. Mm-hmm. But I mean, she's not wrong, especially about Christopher Plummer. He was he was in a different movie altogether. He He was so good. Now, in 2000, Rosie O'Donnell became the editor of McCall's. And in 2001, she changed the name to Rosie because Oprah had a magazine back then. So now Rosie had one. And she wanted a magazine that celebrates real women. But she ceased the publication at the end of 2002, saying, I decided I could not participate in a magazine that bears my name when I could not be assured it would reflect my vision, values, and editorial direction. So... Mm, they mm. ended up suing each other, and mm-hmm. the judge ultimately ruled against both of them mm-hmm. and threw the case out of court. Okay. So it's kind of a shame that a magazine that yeah. had been around since 1893 sure. didn't last two years. She kind of should have started her own magazine. Right. And then she could have talked about things, which I know what she's talking about, because as her being a gay woman, mm-hmm. I'm sure she wanted to have a more open minded, right. more, Platform. you know, a place where lesbian women would feel comfortable reading it as well. Although lesbian women like to wear clothes and makeup sometimes too. Oh, really? So, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't understand what happened, but what a shame. Yeah, that is. So it came to a crashing halt. Oh, well. So goodbye to McCall's. September 16th, 1936. We washed and I had to hang out the clothes. It started raining about noon and we had to run to get them all back in. After dinner, I went to sleep, slept all afternoon until Maxine and Mary Ellen came up. It was still raining, so I went out after the kids and let them eat downtown. After supper, I read a story and retired before eight. What's the matter? Am I getting too old to look at? Oh, what? What's wrong with her? She's uh, maybe she should stop reading McCall's magazine. So, uh, maybe they go. were already starting beauty standards that women could not mm. hold themselves up to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Poor thing. I love that's another scene in the Netflix for me that they're hanging out in the wash and then it rains mm-hmm. and they're all running. Ah, you mm. know who? And so, okay, she goes to pick up the kids because it's raining and she, quote, let them eat downtown. Where is her mother? I know that dad's not around a lot and mother had gone to the music club a couple of nights before, but I feel like she doesn't write a lot about her mother at this point. No, Mm -hmm. and certainly not 
like there is even times when she'll come home from her night shift at the telephone office mm-hmm. and have to drive the kids to school. So uh, what's maybe wonder, Bess is just busy doing other things. But remember that psychic that yeah. we talked talked mm-hmm. about said that Bess that Elizabeth took on these responsibilities and and because she knew she kind of had to because mm-hmm. Bess either was overwhelmed mm-hmm. or just couldn't keep up. But Elizabeth had her ducks in a row. Right. So I, I think we're seeing shades mm. of this now mm-hmm. because who is she to say her mom didn't have dinner on the table? Right. Right. Maybe yeah. she was working. Maybe she had a job. Best. I agree. Exactly. So why doesn't she mention mom yeah. was at work? I mean, she certainly hasn't mentioned anything. But about also her mother. they probably just passed each other in the middle of the night sometimes because I mean, maybe, maybe mom worked during the day and Elizabeth worked the third shift. Or I don't know. Whatever. I mean, she I was know. selling meat wow. to Hopkins at that point. Interesting. So I don't know. She just seems I can understand why Dean and Helen are practically absent. But right. where's mom? That's yeah. Because she talks about going home and doing the dishes. Where is her mother? I hmm. guess she's just there. Yeah. Poor mothers not being mentioned. There you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> September 19th, 1936. Helen, Carl Welker, and I went up to church this morning to clean up a different room for our Sunday school class. Several others helped. Dad came home this morning. Francis rolled up my hair after dinner. Jenny and Lucille came up, said she'd have to be operated on. Cleaned up after supper, fooled around till Jack came a little after seven. Boots was here, and we walked to town for a Coke. Jack and I sat in the living room when we got home. Okay, so Carl Welker was a little friend of Helen's, and he's mentioned a couple of times. He was born in August of 1925. He had black hair and blue eyes, and he marries a woman named Pearlie Finley in 1944. But right before that, he was in the Navy in World War II. In 1950, he's working for the Frisco Railroad as a switchman, and he and his wife will have one daughter. Now, poor Carl will have that job until 1985 when he finally retires, Mm. and very sadly, he will die in 1992 on Christmas Day at the age of 67. Mm. Poor Carl, he only got seven years of retirement. Mm. You know, I think the people who had to suffer through the Depression and be really poor because of government things that are going on that they, and not being able to control money should have been able to retire early. early? I totally agree. <laughs> that yeah, nice? that would have been nice, yes. <laughs> and Lucille is going to have to be operated on, and she gives us zero, not one piece That's of it? information about it. I so I, I've she... decided she's having a tummy tuck. And she just doesn't want to talk about it. A 1935 tummy tuck. (laughs) Hey, I'm sure somebody was doing it. (laughs) Probably, yeah. I mean, movie stars. There you go. Didn't Mar- I mean, Marilyn Monroe had all kinds of plastic Did she? surgery. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. So they were doing it probably just not as well as yeah. they do it now. Although right. I would beg to differ because there's some plastic surgery that I see around this town that we live in. Uh-huh. And I'm like, girl, why? why? You were so beautiful to start with. Why did you do that to I your mouth? I That's so sad. And then they go and do it again. Because they want to fix it. Yeah. I know. I just, Can't. I feel so sorry for women. Let it, just let us age mm-hmm. and still love us. <laughs> yep. I agree. <laughs> September 22nd, 1936. Ironed and went over to Mrs. Barker's this morning. Lucille was helping wash and we talked a while. Marjorie Caldwell died this morning. Max called and told me about 6.30. Oh, so I was able to find Marjorie Caldwell and Mm -hmm. she was the 16-year-old daughter of Mrs. E.M. Caldwell or Mr. and Mrs. of Cape Girardeau. She died of pneumonia and she had been sick for two weeks. But she actually died because her sore throat 
got infected and went septic. Oh. So from all the coughing and not mm. the right. So she died of sepsis. Really. Miss oh. um, Caldwell was born in Lutesville in 1920 and lived there until just two years earlier when the family moved to Cape. She was a member of the junior class of the Central High School at Cape of that year. And she is survived by her parents, one brother and three sisters. And I have a picture of her little tombstone. And on it, it says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. Oh, oh. okay. Well, uh, that's a, I mean, early, how about, took a I mean, early that sounds there. like they're a little angry. Right. right. <laughs> instead of the our Lord lovely, beautiful daughter. The, like the joy of my heart. Instead right. of, God, take her. Aww, so that's so sad. Yeah. But yeah, that's too young. There's a lot of death in this diary. Yeah, I know. I mean, it, it's true. And early deaths and yeah. from things that we would hope today a little yeah. penicillin would have cured. Right? Exactly. September 23rd, 1936. Maxine came by and asked me to go to the cemetery to Marjorie's funeral. We went by and got Jenny. I feel so sorry for her family. She was so young and all. Came home and played solitaire until supper. Ted called and said we'd practice. Jack called and asked about it. He came up, and then I went off with him to Lutesville. We put the car up and walked on home. When the boys came, Mother said I'd gone off with Jack. Jack and I had a political argument. He left in the rain. Ooh, goody. I know, this is a good one. Okay, totally not cool to blow off rehearsal. Mm-hmm. But if I had a nickel for every time I would have walked home in the rain after a political argument, I'd yeah. have a lot of nickels. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I love that he was so mad. He's like, I don't even care if it's raining. Right. I'm out of here. Right. You commie or whatever. <laughs> I wonder what they talked about. You know, she wasn't the biggest Roosevelt fan. Yeah. Right. We know that yeah. later, which is surprising to me because her family benefited. Well, from during Roosevelt's the time, plan. she probably didn't know as much about. I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty for us. A uh, hundred. Yes, I think so too. Yeah. And I think well, there are things coming up about okay. Roosevelt that maybe she was worried about, mm-hmm. but um, he did a lot of good for her family. So yeah. Later, yeah. she will reverse her opinion. <laughs> but you know, she's a young girl, right. and she doesn't know what she doesn't know. Right. Here you go. Oh, but the rains made the newspaper um, mm. because in the Banner Press, which got picked up by the Poplar Bluff Press, which is where I got the story because I don't have the Banner Press, it said the good rains which fell this week and Wednesday were greatly appreciated and have ended the water hauling for this season, at least for now. So remember last episode, she was they were back to haul and water. Yeah, yeah. And now they're done. Yeah. So those rains were a good thing, even though Jack got soaked because he was mad. <laughs> September 27th, 1936. Jack called and said he'd see me tonight, being as how I had to work this afternoon. Jack came by and we rode around a while, waited at Barker's for a flat to be fixed, then went to the show at Jackson. It was good. Jack told me again he loved me. September 30th, 1936. Jack came up in Mr. Ward's car after dinner and said he'd be up tonight. I had to go to town before dinner for beans. Got a letter from Ruby. She was married August 29th. Maxine came up and I went back with her. She borrowed my purse and hat. We looked at Weiss Carver's dresses. I brought two home. Jack came up after supper. We went down to Clara's and Fred's. We came back by Jack's and stopped to listen to the radio and danced. Tried to teach Jack new steps. Told me he loves me. 
Wow. So he's in love. Yeah. Oh, this is, so, this is so sweet. And we've met a lot of Rubies on this podcast. We have. Ruby Warden, Ruby, Ruby Williamson, Bird. Ruby Yingling, Ruby Bird, 100%. None of them got married in August of 1936. Really? So I don't know who the heck she's talking yeah. about. Who is this Ruby? Hmm. Why does she say something like, so now she's Mrs. Doohickey. Right. So that Liz, <laughs> almost 100 <laughs> yeah. years later, yeah. <clears throat> could find these people. Very mm. aggravating. But yeah, I, I went back and looked to every episode that we had ever mentioned to Ruby and it oh wasn't our Ruby. Wow. So did we always have the wrong Ruby? <laughs> well. Hey, it could be a thing, but one, I don't know. I, I can't you? find her. Yeah, crazy. October 8th, 1936. After supper, Jack came up in Mr. Ward's car and said he'd be back later. He came in the rain. Ray and Wilma came about eight and stayed until 1015. Jack stayed about an hour after they left. He bought me a little watch. I told him I wanted one. Oh, he's giving mm-hmm. her gifts. Mm-hmm. That's nice. It's not Christmas. It's not a birthday. Mm-hmm. He got her a little watch. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh-oh. That's, oh, well. Yeah, he's starting. Mm-hmm. Here we go. <laughs> here, comes, here comes great love mm-hmm. or great or heartbreak. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> October 10th, 1936. We were busy all morning washing and cleaning the house and baking. Dad came home about 11, and we had to make several trips to town. Francis and I cleaned up and went by for Max, rode a little bit, came home and rode Catherine's bike. I'm learning. Francis and I went with Dad and Mother after the kids, also did the weekly shopping. Jack came up and said he'd be by later. He came about a quarter to nine, brought Dad a cigar. We went down to Clara's a while. You know, I just take for granted that everyone knows how to ride a bike. She's 19 years old, mm. and she's finally learning to ride a oh, bike. Wow. They yeah. never had a bike, huh. even when she was even little, Stepper. little, and things were good. Right. And you would think there would have been more bikes in places like Step Rock, because not totally. everybody had a car, and bike's a cheap way to get around. Absolutely. But yeah, Jack is schmoozing up to dad now. Giving him cigars. But Elizabeth doesn't like smoking. I know, right? I wonder I what thought she thought too. about that. Yeah. I wonder if dad was like, heck yeah, I got me right. a cigar. Yeah. Thanks, Jack. Women. Yeah, yeah, I know. Jack's his new best friend. Hey, baby. Hey, Mom. I'm not interrupting anything, am I? Yes. I'm at, we're recording the podcast, but I have a second. What you need? Oh, I'm so sorry. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. No, 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 no. I, we're taking a break. What do you want? Oh, she hung up. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Sophie. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. okay. October 14th, 1936. Cleaned the house, ironed, and made filling for a chocolate pie this morning. After dinner, I read Tom Sawyer until Maxine came. We took Tim and walked up to Turkey Hill, explored vacant houses, found a place to have my Sunday school class wiener roast, piled up brush for it, then walked a long way. Came back at four. Carl came by, and I helped them get sticks. Jack brought the coal oil, and we talked in the backyard. He came up after supper. Went riding into the rendezvous where we danced. So he's learning to dance. Because mm. remember, at first he couldn't dance that's and she right. was kind of bummed about that. Yeah. But she's reading Tom Sawyer. I know. Which that's is really cool. cool. I know. I love it when it's a book that I'm like, I know that book. Yeah. <laughs> but I love how she said she went up to Turkey Hill. So I texted the twins and said, What's Turkey Hill? And I found out they said yeah. it was up by the Marble Hill grade school and they would take their sleds to school and slide down Turkey Hill Who, at the recess. Twins? Yeah, really? did. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what vacant houses they were exploring because I asked the twins about that too. Yeah. And they said no vacant houses on Turkey Hill. Okay. So 
Okay. Well, I don't know. Oh, Ooh, that's okay. Sorry. She's having a wiener roast up there. She loves going up on hills for wiener roasts. I don't know if that sounds safe, but here we go. But here's a fun fact. Mm-hmm. On October 16th of this year, King Edward VIII, who is the brand new king mm-hmm. who will end up abdicating the throne, mm-hmm. would enforce a voluntary media blackout on his relationship with Wallace Simpson. Oh. So he's like, no press is allowed to talk wow. about this. I know, right? Because rumors of King Edward's relationship with Mrs. Simpson spread throughout England as the odds of Edward actually marrying her began to be weighed in the foreign press. American newspapers began disappearing from British newsstands without explanation. However, foreign magazines delivered to subscribers through the mail were arriving untouched. So the U.S., France, everybody else is like, oh, but England's like, we just won't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that happening in England today? No. They talk about everything. I tell you, I remember the Diana and Charles years. They were just slammed every day by it, the press. It's still just that the way. the opposite I of mean, what you're saying. Yeah. There's so many TikToks I follow where mm, they're like, oh, let's awful. talk about the royal family. I would hate to be famous. Oh, my, I would, or, I would yeah. hate to be that famous, but I would really hate to be a member of the royal family. Totally. Oh, my God. Your life is so Horrible. dictated. Mm-hmm. And you can't do this and you can't. Can you imagine Kate having a girl's night with her girlfriends down at the local <laughs> pub? It it ain't happening. Right. Right. Uh, that's no fun. I guess I wonder if she has girls nights where and she I wonder, might. I mean, they might they're be still fun. somewhat normal. Like they all come over and they have beers and they bring up pub style food in her little salon and they hang yeah, out. Yeah, they chill. do that. I hope Taylor so. Swift does it. Well, she's not the future that's queen true. of England. She's <laughs> well, just the future queen know? of all of our hearts. That's true. <laughs> I love my Taylor Swift. Me too. Oh, my God. I feel so sorry for her at the Golden Globes and. Uh, you know, that's fine. She, she can laugh all the way to the bank. But at the yeah. same time, what a jerk that oh. guy was. I had never even heard of him. I hadn't either. A- and he was horrible. Yeah. It, it and was just bad. Didn't get it. It was bad. I hope he's canceled now yeah. because he's stupid. Mm-hmm. But anyway, in England, they weren't talking about it. <laughs> that's weird. Hi, this is Jesse from Fort Smith, Arkansas, and you're listening to my grandmother's diaries. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. October 17th, 1936. Jack came up and said Francis could go with us. She fixed my hair. He came up at 8.30. We went by for LH, rode around, and then went to the dance. Went to Fletcher's at intermission. Danced with Unc, Walter, and Maxine. Didn't make a cent. Jack drank some. <gasps> so I guess she's playing for this dance, even though she skipped mm-hmm. rehearsal. Mm-hmm. But she can, you know, read yeah. music. She's fine. 
Um, I've never heard of Fletcher's before. So this uh-huh. is a new place. They're going at intermission. She got to dance with a bunch of boys and Maxine, which is so cute. Yes. She and Maxine out there. And they didn't make any money. I know. Well, who paid for admission to get into the mm-hmm. dance? Or maybe they owed money for new sheet music. Remember last time mm-hmm. they had to pay off some sheet mm-hmm. music? That'd be so like she that. ended up leaving without making any money. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is going to be the beginning of the end of the orchestra for her. Mm-hmm. And then Jack's drinking. Yeah. Jack. Mm-hmm. How we have learned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he has gotten yelled at about this before. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. This is the very next day. October 18th, 1936. Jack came up after dinner and asked me to go to the show. He came back after I got ready. Helen went too, and the whole Hopkins family went to Jackson and saw the great Zigfield. After we got home, Jack and I took the kids to youth group and had a fuss about L.H. and Jenny. He thought I told Jenny about L.H. being with another girl. He came up after supper. We talked to Francis. Mary-Kate came and stayed for a while. We talked to the family when they were gone. We had another fuss. So, okay, he thinks that Elizabeth is gossiping, talking to Jenny about L.H. Mm-hmm. being with another girl. Mm-hmm. That other girl was Frances. Oh. That was last night when Fran- he, Jack said Frances yeah. could come, and they picked up L.H. and they went to the dance. So this is not a date that mm-hmm. L.H. and Frances necessarily had, but obviously they were at the dance together, mm-hmm. and they danced together, and Jenny wasn't there, and now Jenny on the block is <laughs> mad. But shame on him thinking Elizabeth did that, because we don't have any evidence of her being a gossip. Mm-hmm. Maybe when she talks to Jack, she's like, ah, guess what phone mm-hmm. call I heard? So he just assumes she's mm-hmm. telling people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no wonder they had another fuss. Mm-hmm. Poor Francis. And mm-hmm. that's probably why they talked to Francis. It's okay, Francis. We're going to tell Jenny. And Francis is like, I'm dating boots. You can't have rumors going on around <laughs> oh me. So d- the drama, As the, the dating turns. drama. Seriously. Mm-hmm. October 19th, 1936. Cleaned the house, went to town, and stopped and talked to Mrs. Hopkins a while. Jack called after I got home and said he'd be up tonight. Went to work at 6.30. He came down about 8. We had another big quarrel because he was drinking at Jackson. I'm not going to stand for it. He begged me for a date tomorrow night. He's silly. Mm. All right, Jack, you're picking drinking over a girl. I don't know. Having a drink is fun, but having a girl is a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Poor Jack. When does he had time to drink? Because this is the 19th and the 18th was they were fussing. Um, mm-hmm. And then the 16th, they went to the 17th. They went to the dance. Mm-hmm. When's he have time for all this drinking? <laughs> At night. Can't be that bad. Yeah, it's probably it's not. It's probably just a beer. Exactly. With the guys after work or something. It's probably and not she's a like, big deal. don't you do that. Yeah. Uh, poor Elizabeth. At least he doesn't smoke. Has he smoked? I don't think I don't he... think so. Yeah. Not that we know of. Okay. He's no Bill Terrell. Right. <laughs> October 20th, 1936. We washed and hung out the clothes this morning. After dinner, I went down to the courthouse after I had cleaned up and helped Mrs. Williams type for the music club yearbooks. Went home. I was playing the piano, and Jack came, asked me if I was ready. I didn't know for what, so he asked me to go to Clara's and play Monopoly. Got ready and went down there. He got me a box of chocolates. I almost beat Fred, who won, came home a little after ten. Oh, that's sassy. Are you ready for the date? For what? (laughs) (laughs) And then he's like, uh, to go play Monopoly. Monopoly. Do you want some candy? Yeah. Oh, he's being, he's showing, like the men showing up with flowers. It's lovely when men bring you flowers or chocolate after an argument. 
I don't want the flowers and the chocolate. I yeah. never. I want to never have that argument I, again. Amen. So, uh, so just show me in your actions and yeah. save your dollar yeah, yeah. dollar bills. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I don't even like that much chocolate. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't so, fight in but the first place. Monopoly. You yeah. love it or you hate it. And for Elizabeth, yeah. this is a new game. Mm-hmm. But the history of Monopoly can be traced back to 1903 when American anti-monopolist Lizzie Maggie created a game that she thought would hope to explain the single tax theory of Henry George. Don't ask me what that is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it was intended as an educational tool to illustrate the negative aspects of concentrating land in private monopolies. Well, I mean, what? There you go. She took out a patent in 1904 and her game, The Landlord's Game, was self-published starting in 1906. Maggie created two sets of rules, an anti-monopolist set in which all were rewarded when wealth was created and a monopolist set in which the goal was to create monopolies and crush your opponents. That's cool. So the game has two rules, yeah. one for all and all for one or just for one. Yeah. <laughs> so several wow. variant board games based on her concept were developed from the 1906 through the 1930s. They involved both the process of buying land for its development and the sale of any undeveloped property and cardboard houses were added and rents increased as they were added to a property and Maggie patented the game again in 1923. Now, according to an advertisement placed in the Christian Science Monitor, Charles Todd of Philadelphia recalled the day in 1932 when his childhood friend Esther Jones and her husband, Charles Darrow, came to their house for dinner. After the meal, the Todds introduced Charles Darrow to the landlord's game, which they played several times. The game was entirely new to Darrow, and he asked the Todds for a written set of the rules. After that night... Darrow went on to utilize this and distribute the game himself as Monopoly. Oh, so he so raked he up the dough. <laughs> yeah. He stole it from a woman. Uh-huh. A woman invented the game. Wow. Isn't cool. that crazy? Yeah, that's cool. I know. The Parker brothers bought the game's copyright from Darrow. And when the company learned Darrow was not the sole inventor yeah. of the game, it bought the rights to Maggie's patent. There you go. Good. For $500. <laughs> Poor Maggie. (laughs) I know. Parker's brother began marketing the game on November 5th of 1935. Cartoonist F.O. Alexander contributed the design, and the U.S. patent was granted to Charles Darrow on December of 1935, and boom. Well, that's where we are in the diary. Exactly. That's why Monopoly is a brand new game for her. It's 1936. Okay. She's never heard of this game. She's playing it for the first time. Weird. And it was stolen from a woman. Yeah, seriously. I know. And Parker Brothers... Just made a fortune. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine how much money that ma- that that she missed? Did she her family? Oh, that's legacy money. Absolutely. Did her, she got five hundred dollars mm. for inventing this brilliant game. But the whole point of her game was for it not to be monopoly. Not to be that way. And then a man takes it over and makes it monopoly. <laughs> I mean, I'm not like dissing on men so bad. I'm sure we, there are lots of women monopolists in the world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're allowed to, yeah. to to hate on men for a minute. But I just think it's so mean. Yeah. But yeah. oh, how cool. What a cool that story, is right? Very cool story. They should make a movie about that. Yeah. October 21st, 1936. I was supposed to go down to Mrs. Van's this afternoon. Got my scraps ready, but it was raining. Went to sleep. Had the headaches. So I just sat around and didn't even clean up. After supper, I played the piano. Leon and Dean sang. Then us three played games. I'm retiring at 8.20. It's getting colder. I'm still rather peeved at Jack. He's not going to drink and go with me, too. 
Okay. I hate every we'll time see. she says she has the headaches, <laughs> I, know, I get upset. I know. It bothers me. I'm like, go to a doctor, go to a doctor. Seriously. Oh, God. But Mrs. Vans is Mrs. Van Amberg, who has the adult sewing class, and we met her a couple episodes again. October 22nd, 1936. Let's see. What did I do this morning? Washed my hair, cleaned up, and read after supper. I sat around for a while. Finally went to bed when Ted and Boots came by, asked us to go riding. We went to the rendezvous, then on to Advance. It rained. We just fooled around until 12 when Ted had to go. Should I have gone with him? Oh. Uh, oh. 12? Uh, yeah. You should have not gone yeah, with him really, at 12, young lady. Really, really. And what are you doing out so late? Mm-hmm. It's 12 and Ted's back? Oh my gosh. So I don't know if she's as in love with Jack as he is with her because she's still eyeballing Ted. And we know Ted's not your grandfather because we've already had his farewell story. Mm -hmm. But ooh, what is she doing? Staying out till 12. October 23rd, 1936. Jack came by as we were eating supper. We talked in the car and then he took me to get our coal oil at the store. We made another delivery. He said he'd be up later. Jack came up and we talked to the girls. After they went to bed, we kind of argued politics, etc. I didn't tell him about Ted. He said to remember that he still loves me. Ted? So, yeah, she's keeping Ted a secret, and they're still fighting over politics. Mm -hmm. I wish I knew what they were talking about. I know, me too. Oh, God. Anyway, but in the midst of, like, I don't agree with you, Mm -hmm. but remember, I still love you. Right. That's nice. That's that's what all Mm -hmm. people who disagree on politics should remember. October 27th, 1936. Mother went back to Jonesboro with Dad yesterday. The alarm didn't go off this morning, and we got up at 6.30. Everyone got off okay, though. I did the work and got to Mr. Talent's office by 9, addressed envelopes all morning, fixed our lunch at noon, walked back with Jack and Francis. Jack said he'd be up, and we'd play Monopoly. Got off work at 4. After supper, we went to Clara's and played Monopoly. Francis won! We came home about 9.30, and I told him about being with Ted. He still loves me. She told who about being with Ted? Jack. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She confessed. Oh, dear. Thank goodness, right? Hey, and Francis won Monopoly. I've never won Monopoly in my life. I'm not really good at it. I've never finished a game. It takes 48 hours. I know. I hated Monopoly. Yeah, I'm not a fan. And even to this day, some, uh, like, my kids, like, you want to play Monopoly? I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. I just, oh, I can't do it. I start buying up everything and then I lose everything. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> but anyway, Mr. Talent might very well be Aura Talent, who was born on February 28th of 1903. In 1924, he marries a woman named Beulah Baker and they have a couple of kids, but that doesn't last. They get a divorce sometime before 1942 because that's when he marries a much younger woman by the name of Catherine Rader. She's 18 years younger than he is. And together they will have eight eight children. I had 88. That's not right. (laughs) They'll have eight children. Unfortunately, one of them is a son named Grayson, and he dies in 1969 in a car accident when he's only 19 years old. Mr. Talent dies in 1986, and his young wife will live until 2015. All three of them are buried together, the son Mm. who died young Mm -hmm. and the two of them. So it's very sweet and very Mm. sad. Mm But here, this, a Missouri newspaper in October of 1936, and this will mean a lot to the twins and to you, because they will visit this building every day when they are little. It says, Twin Cities to Have Movie Show. 
Robert H. Wilson and Company signed a contract Monday to open a moving picture theater in the twin cities of Lutesville and Marble Hill. The show house will be built between the two cities and will be placed in operation as soon as the building can be completed. The building will be built by C.F. Hopkins of Marble Hill and will be modern in all respects. It will have a seating capacity of 400. Wow. Isn't that neat? Yes. So there, this is Where did the, you find that? I just, you know, I always just look up Marble Hill in quotes mm-hmm. and I put in the month and the year. So this was October 1936. Yeah. And I just see what pops up. That's And this popped up in, I don't even know if I know the newspaper it was in because it's not the Banner Press because I don't have that paper. And that's a Isn't huge that deal because, I mean, she goes to the theater a lot. That, I know. That theater. That, yes. That and, and your mom and your mom and twin sister go every day when they're little yes. kids. They just every That's day right. they'll just pop in and watch what's playing That's and then right. leave. Yep. <gasps> so and it was built by Jack Hopkins dad, mm-hmm. which is even a neater because Elizabeth dated Jack Hopkins. Right. So everybody knew the Hopkins. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Pretty cool. November 1st, 1936. Jack called and said he'd be up. He came and Lynn came too. Mary Ellen came a while and then left. I wasn't very busy, of course, so I read some to Jack. He said he loves me with all his heart. November 2nd, 1936. Came home from work at 7 this morning. Took the kids to school in the car. Stopped at Ted's to get a map. We talked about the election. Came back by Hopkins to get some bananas from Jack. Went to work at 11. Mother called and said Dad had lost his job. Oh, man, really? Oh, yeah, so here we go again. But now we know what they're arguing about. It's an election year. Yeah. They're talking about oh. the presidential election between FDR and Alf Landon, who had been the governor of Kansas. Uh-huh. Of course, FDR will stomp all over this man. Mm-hmm. And he, I think he'll only get two states in the entire election and only eight electoral votes. Who? And who, who? Alf Landon? Huh. Yeah. I don't know. I briefly looked up what his campaign was, what he was trying to say Roosevelt was doing wrong. But I then I just didn't get mired down in it. Mm-hmm. But that's what they're arguing about. So Elizabeth okay. not being a fan that of Roosevelt. Sense. Right. And Jack probably going, oh, my God, are you crazy? <laughs> Seriously. What? Look what he's done for the country. Yeah. But yeah, dad's out of work. And I had mentioned that before because there's another uh, like little mini recession from in thir- 1937. Yeah, remember and you this saying. is this is the shades of that coming okay. that he's already had a company that had to let him go. Gosh, I know. So let's find out what happened. I know. I really do feel sorry for him. November 3rd, 1936. Came home at 7 and took the kids to school after breakfast. Helped with the dishes and then slept. Went to Allen's and got a cup of hot chocolate before work. Decided I want to get a permanent this afternoon. Frances paid for it. Bless her heart. Went to work at 5. Max came up about 7 to help. Then Jack came by about 9.30. He and Max left. I was too busy with election calls. The tailor's house caught on fire. My first! Frances came down and spent the night. Hooray, question mark, for Roosevelt? Wow, okay. Yeah, okay, hey. so... Hmm, so <laughs> but we have some Nazi news. On November 5th of 1936, Nazi Germany published a new penal code introducing heavy penalties for slandering Adolf Hitler. 
Oh, so oh. say no bad things about right. our Lord and Savior. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's how it starts. Well, mm-hmm. it's already well started. Yeah. Right. But here it's just getting deeper and deeper. Mm. If you cannot say that what I say is wrong. Oh. And looking back on it, like the hindsight is I know. just like, it's oh. just so, it's so in your face. And yeah. you're like, why isn't anybody doing anything? Because mm-hmm. they were but, all for it. Uh, they, oh. A large portion. Oh, somebody sent me. An email, but this is timely because you now you can't say anything. We were just talking about how people were all into Adolf Hitler. And I got this wonderful message from a listener named Emily Kirk. And she said her grandfather was born in Germany and unfortunately was in the Hitler Youth as a child. Mm. And this was not optional. There were no alternatives to being in the Hitler Youth. Right. It ended. It actually ended up replacing formal schooling. My grandfather never really went to school because of this. He was used as a message courier in a war zone in his early teen years because the children could move around a bit more stealthily. At the end of the war, he was captured by the Russians. He was 17 and was a prisoner of war for five years until the Americans liberated them to make a long story very short, she says. Wow. He never returned to Germany. He went straight to Italy and got on the first boat to Australia. On his arrival, he changed his name and tried to put it behind mm-hmm. him. He would never speak of it. Mm-hmm. This was information I got from my father and my nana. Whoa. He was completely traumatized right. by his teenage years, and that trauma stayed with him, rearing its head at weak points, such as when he was in the hospital and on medications or sedatives. He cut ties completely with Germany and honestly lived in a lot of fear of people coming after him. I think it's a very sad situation for the youth of Germany at that time. He honestly was a good, kind, hardworking, and mild-mannered person. Mm-hmm. Thought you might enjoy my perspective. Definitely. As always, enjoying the podcast. Thank you. Thank but you Emily, for sending thank that you and so sharing much. that. That's a beautiful story, and I'm sure that happened 90% of the time. Right. These kids just, they get they swept up. Kids, they have right? no choice. They right? have no choice. Yep. I mean, we talked about it in last episode. I mean, what else? They couldn't get a diploma. They couldn't get a job. They had to do it. And they probably shut down public education. Yeah. Well, like she says, it kind of took it over. Right. Oh, Oh. so thanks, Emily. That was a great story. Very much so. Thanks, Mm. Emily. November 7th, 1936. Went to work at three and worked until seven. Jack came by after eight. We were going to take Francis and Boots with us, but Boots went to Cape. Went by and asked Max and got Unc and all four of us went to the show in Jackson. It was kind of awful, but had lots of fun. Mrs. Cobb worked for me. Got back at 12. Gee, Jack is sweet. Dad is working in Hopkins' store now. I'm glad he has something to do to help him from being so restless. That's... There you go. That's really cool. That is cool. Jack got him a job. Yeah, immediately. Almost a little embarrassing for uh, um, her dad. Louis. Like, I guess I'll have to go work at the general store. But at least it's something. Yeah. But I guess restless is her way of saying so he won't drink. Uh, so he'll okay. have it, he'll have something to do with his idle hands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. November eighth, nineteen thirty-six. Jack took me to work, called me, and let me hear part of Jack Benny's program from Clara's. He came down and brought Monopoly. Francis came and was going to play, but Boots came and took her riding. Jack and I played. Of course, he won. Francis came back and stayed a while. Jack was so sweet. He really loves me and wants to marry me. What? The, my favorite part of this entry, though, is he called me to let me hear part of Jack Benny's mm-hmm. program from Clara's. Clara's mm-hmm. his sister, right? Mm-hmm. And that's he, so that's a great uh, scene for the Netflix show. Yeah, right. Because he's like on the phone holding the mm-hmm. phone up to the radio so she can listen to it while she's and at work. She's at work. 
listening to it. I love that. I think that's that is cool. So You're right. Cute. I can see so that. Cute. I love mm-hmm. that. November 9th, 1936. Jack brought me home this morning. I hung out the wash and helped with the housework. Went back to work at 11. Came home at 1. Went back to work at 5. Grace called and said that Kat was operated on for her appendix at Cape. Jack called while we were talking. Francis and Mary Ellen came. They stayed a while. Dad called Mr. Shafley tonight, and he talked favorably like he would have something for Dad to do. I'm so glad. Oh my gosh, the poor cat gets married and immediately gets appendicitis. Yep. Woof, that's rough. But apparently this Mr. Shafley is some other railroad guy, mm-hmm. and maybe he, Dad will get it. Maybe the Dad's unemployment won't last so long this time. And then I found this article in the paper, and the fact that she never mentioned this blows my mind. And she's the telephone operator, so she definitely would have heard about this. Judge Charles Myers had an unusual experience last weekend while on Highway 51 north of Patton near the service station. A circus truck and a trailer ran too close to him, and the trailer swung enough to hit the car of the judge, causing it to run down a rather steep embankment into the mud. The truck came back, took in the situation, and soon had two elephants belonging to the circus on the scene. The circus men soon had one of the elephants hitched to the front end of the judge's car, while the other elephant got behind the car and pushed. Love it. Ah. They took the judge and his car right up the muddy embankment and onto the road. This was a rather novel experience, dash Marble Hill Press. That was in Marble Hill? So it happened right outside of Marble Hill at Patton. Uh- <laughs> That's hilarious. That's the coolest story. That is. I can't believe she didn't talk about two elephants. For sure. Right. In the world. Right. She's she's too focused on Jack. Mm -hmm. But that was a cool story. I love that. Oh, my God. It's so precious. I love elephants. I I hate them in captivity so much. Oh, me too. Because they seem so mm. uh, empathetic and and compassionate. And to be trapped. But but look at them. Mm. They're like, we'll help. Can't do anything else. Drag them out of them. Yeah. Isn't that sweet? God. November 13th, 1936. Took the kids to school after breakfast, slept most of the morning, and went to work at 11. Was home by myself and didn't have anything to do, so I went down to see Dad to see if there was any mail, but there wasn't. Went to work at 5. Maxine came to write a letter, but left when Unc called for a date. Read in between calls. Jack called, and we talked a long time. He asked me to get off tomorrow night said he would order a wristwatch for Dad for Christmas. Mary Ellen and I bet a Coke about her date tonight. I won. Well, I wonder what they're like. Will I get a kiss? Will I not get a kiss? (laughs) But I love that she's ordering a wristwatch for her dad because she just got one. And now she realizes she can get one wholesale. (laughs) But he ordered it. No, am I wrong? From the store. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's probably where he got hers. And I think she's getting her at that employee discount. Mm, Right. And that would be helpful for her. And then dad can have a watch. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very sweet Christmas present. November 14th, 1936. Went to work at three and worked until seven in order to get off for tonight. Mrs. Cobb worked for me. Took a bath and Jack came before I got out of the tub. He waited patiently on me. We went to Jackson to the show. I didn't have much fun. We went by ourselves and we're both so tired that we didn't get crazy. Even the show wasn't much good either. Got back to the office at 11. Mrs. Cobb is always so nice to let me off. November 15th, 1936. Came home for dinner and all the folks were at church, so I started fixing dinner myself. 
8 and got back to work at 1. Gee, what a long old afternoon. Dean, Rosemary, and Germaine came up. So did Francis, Maxine, and Mary Ellen. Got off at 5. Jack picked me up and we went riding. Went home and he ate supper with me. Took the kids to youth group. Made a bet about the bus, so chased it out on the highway. He won, of course. Got to work by 6. He came over later. Francis stopped by after church. We had Cokes and candy. Okay, she's just a betting girl now. Don't smoke or drink, but hey, I'll give you five bucks if you can flip that chair over or something. (laughs) But what was the, I guess, is the bus going to be on time? Is the bus going to be late? And then they chased it down on the highway. That sounds like such a fun teenage Mm -hmm. thing to do. But I wanted to bring up Rosemary and Jermaine because they're Dean's friends. And although I don't read every entry, I do see these names popping up. And I thought I would give them their little moment. Rosemary Recker is born in 1921. In the 1930 census, her father is a farmer and she is one of nine children. In 1942, she becomes the war bride to a Mr. Robert Dracus, who will go off and serve in the war. Before he left, he was the needleman at a packing company. I have no idea what that is. Hmm. And after that, he comes back from the war. He's a truck driver. He dies at the age of 50. But not before he and Rosemary have three children. Rosemary worked for 25 years at the electric company in Cape. She lived to be 85 years old. She outlived all her brothers and sisters and even one of her great grandchildren. So she had a nice sturdy Mm -hmm. life. But little Germaine must have really enjoyed her trip to the telephone office that day because in 1940, when she's 20 years old, she will be working there herself. Really? Yeah. (laughs) She'll get married in 1948. And then she will become a homemaker. She'll have one little boy named Jeff. And her husband will end up being the county clerk for Bollinger County. He died in 1983. And Miss Germaine will make it to to 2001. Mm. So good for her. Mm -hmm. November 19th, 1936. Went to work at 11, came home at 1, and rested. Worked a crossword puzzle and played the piano. Mr. Henry Smith came to see me at noon about a Red Cross membership drive. I'm going to work with Nell Taker this week. Went to work at 5. Talked to the Frederickstown operator a long time. She told me about her boyfriend. Jack came up and brought a jewelry catalog. We looked at watches for Dad and other things. He told me he loves me, and I love him. Oh, dear. I know. But I love that when she talks to operators in other towns, they talk about their boyfriends. Yeah. And I I just think that's cool. I do, too. November 20th, 1936. Helped with the housework this morning. Went to work at 11. Came home at 1 and intended to sleep. But Jenny came by just as I got in bed. We talked a while and then went to Clara's and to town. Went to work at 5. Helen called and said she'd be up to stay all night. She came and brought oranges. I read to her. Francis came by after choir practice for a while. A drunk man came two times, once at 8.30 and again at 1.30. He kind of scared me the last time. He just came right on into the office. Oh, yikes. They got to lock that Not door. Good. Absolutely. She talks about locking the door. Maybe she forgot that night or when Francis wow. left. At 1 30, some mm-hmm. drunk guy, like, I can't make no a phone thanks. call. And she was alone there, right? No, Helen was with oh, her. Okay, so right. thank God. Yeah. But oh, what a scary feeling. For How sure. vulnerable that phone office. Bet she never forgot mm-hmm. to lock that door again. Mm-hmm. November 21st, 1936. Bathed and waited to see if Jack came. I didn't have a date, but I thought he would come anyway, as he always does. 
He called and said he didn't know I was off. He came up and we went riding, had the heater fixed. We love each other and are going to be married someday. Wow. They're so in love. They sure are. Young love. November 24th, 1936. I washed some by hand this morning, went to work my noon hours, and came home and rested. Muck Hastings came as I was ironing to get the orchestra music. I'm not going to play anymore. Oh, no, why? I guess since she didn't make a cent. Right. And then she blew off that rehearsal. She was done. And a couple of podcasts ago, we talked about how they would call and say, hey, we have a gig. And she'd be like, eh. Yeah. So yeah. I think she's just she's done. Just, yeah. And she's working all those overnight right. hours. She probably makes more money. Absolutely. Answering the phones. Don't blame her. But I have some Nazi news. Mm. On November 24th of 1936, Nazi Germany attacked the Nobel Prize Committee for its decision to award the Peace Prize to Karl von I can't name, I can't pronounce. Bestowing the Nobel Prize on a notorious traitor is an impudent challenge and an insult to the new Germany, the statement read. So Karl was exposing the rearmament of Germany in his mm-hmm. stories and things. Mm-hmm. And they didn't like that right. because, of course, they were being sneaky and underhanded. Right. And when he called him out, he wins a, a peace prize for it. And then they attack. The They're committee. not happy with that. Of course not. Right. So they so they attack the whole Nobel Prize committee for how dare you think that us arming ourselves is bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like they're telling on themselves. Right. They're <laughs> projecting. Exactly. Yeah. Which is fun. Mm-hmm. November 26, 1936. Thanksgiving. Just kind of sat around reading and trying to play my new puzzles. Went to work at noon. We all had dinner at one. A big chicken and lots of stuff. I think we have lots to be grateful for. Jack said he'd see me, but didn't ever show up. I cleaned up and went to work at five. Mary Ellen came up and showed me her new sweater. Maxine brought my coat and purse and hat to wear to the dance. Jack came up and he caught a mouse. He said his family mistreated him. A bunch of us kids built a snowman and had a snowball fight. I wonder, he. I guess maybe his family was teasing him. About her? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's just, you know, family on the holidays. Right. Somebody yeah. said something wrong and they were all making... He has, he doesn't has he a have big several, family. Yes. A yeah. big family. Brothers and sisters Correct. and all that stuff too. Yeah. So I'm sure maybe he just got picked on. Said his family mistreated him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. December 5th, 1936. Went to Hopkins and got myself a slip, shirt, and perfume. Got a bingo game and muffler for Leon. Came home and rested cleaned up after taking a bath and walked to town with dad it was really pouring down rain i got so wet it rained hard for several hours i didn't think jack was coming because of the rain but he did come it was a little later than usual however we looked at magazines and catalogs he stayed until 12:20. dear diary but don't tell anyone i couldn't make him go I love her. <laughs> I just love her. She's probably like, Jack, you got to go. Someone's right? got to know you're here. Yes. This is bad. It's funny because my, my sweet little Sophie has a boyfriend mm-hmm. and he stayed until like 1 or one thirty one. Right. And the next morning I was like, well, he was here late. And she was like, I tried to get him to leave. <laughs> really? That's the same thing. There you go. I, they're just like, well, let me just stay. It's like the song. You really must go. Baby, yeah, it's cold outside. Right. Yeah, right, right, right. It's something like that. December 10th, 1936. Took the kids to school this morning after doing the dishes. Worked my noon hours. Dad came home on the bus. He got his contract. I hope he does okay with it. Pieced on my quilt this afternoon. Went to work at 5. Jack came. It was about 8.30. 
I had my door already locked. He did not stay but an hour. Oh, Dad, so Dad has a contract. Yeah. So I guess that phone call to Mr. Shafley went well, mm. and hopefully this will mean good things for the family. And I'm glad that she already had her door locked by 830. Seriously. Honestly, how late would she keep that door open on a regular basis? Yeah, right. I would lock it as All soon night. as it got dark, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd be nervous. December 24th, 1936. Went to work at 7, came home at 11, and wrapped presents. Everyone was so excited, we could hardly eat dinner. I went to work at 1, got a card from Anne, so I wrote a letter. Got off at 5, was with Mary Kate, and we saw Glenda. She walked up to the store with us. Jack came up and said he had to work, so he couldn't go to the play. He came up while I got ready. We exchanged presents. He gave me a grand toilet set, took me to the church for the program. Francis and I met him at the store, and he came home with us, stayed until 11.30. So for those who don't know, a toilet set is a perfume That's what set. I thought, yeah. And it was actually had a name like Luxor or Luxum, but I Googled mm-hmm. it and I couldn't find it. Uh-huh. So maybe it didn't last very long, but or maybe it was Avon. <laughs> Why do they call that a toilet set? Just because you, you used, used it in the, it in the toilet? Yeah. Mm-hmm, exactly. December 25th, 1936. We all got up early to see what we got. I got perfume, bedroom slippers, a girdle, and I don't know what else. Had to go to work at 7. Jack called and we talked a lot. Max and Mary Ellen came up, came home at 11. We had a big chicken dinner, went back at 1. Wasn't so busy, so I pulled in my bed and rested some. Jack came up kind of late. We came home at 5. Got his car and picked up Francis. Went riding and picked up Dean. Jack had to stay with David and we played Monopoly. Played until time for the second show. We all went. Okay, girl's got a lot of perfume. She bought herself perfume. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I'm sure she smells delightful. But she bought herself some. Jack gave her some and then her parents gave her some. So she must have been saying, I sure don't like the way I smell. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. But I also wanted to say they went to the movies on Christmas mm-hmm. night. That's mm-hmm. something my family and I have done for right. forever. Yes. I always feel sorry for the people who have to work on Christmas Day, but we would always mm-hmm. go to the movies on Christmas. It was so much fun. Mm-hmm. And there'd be so many people there. Mm-hmm. And we used to go to the one that was like a cinema and draft house so you could get food. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and it's closed it. now. It didn't survive the pandemic. Yeah. But that was the best way to do it. We would get like hot pretzels and yeah. cold I beers. and uh, I know. Good times. Good times. Hey, and one of the Christmas movies we saw was Into the Woods with Meryl Streep when yeah. it came out. And we were so excited because we love Into the Woods. And, of course, we love everyone who was in it, Emily Blunt and Meryl Streep and whatnot. And then flash forward to this year, Daphne, my daughter, who's mm-hmm. a VIP tour guide, took the director of that movie on a VIP tour. No. So Academy Award winning Rob Marshall was Daphne's tour guest that day. Really? Yeah, he came with his partner and his next door neighbors who had a little kid and just took them on a trip How to Disney cool. that she was the guide for. And he would take pictures of things and say, oh, I got to send this to Emily, like pictures of Mary Poppins. Because he also directed Mary Poppins. He also directed the new Little Mermaid that yeah. everybody freaked out about because the Little Mermaid was of color. Um, and he's done Pirates of the Caribbean movies. I mean, he's a big deal. Well, your daughter's a big deal. She is VIP now. at Disney. Oh, <gasps> I didn't even tell you this. What? A couple of days ago, Travis she Kelsey. met. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
she met Michael Bublé. Oh, cool. He walked up to her. He was on a different tour, but their tours had kind of collided into mm-hmm. the same line. And when he got off the ride with his wife and kids, he saw her and went up to her and shook her hand <laughs> and said, thank you for helping us make everything so magical. Wow. And she was like, oh, my God, Michael Bublé, you're so welcome. Oh. Okay, here's the funny thing about this. We, me and my husband and my two sons went to see Michael Bublé in concert a year ago. And Troy, my youngest son, who likes Michael Bublé, did not want to go. He's like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to go see Michael Bublé. (laughs) I'm like, well, we have a fourth (laughs) ticket, so you're going. So he goes. Not only does he love it and think it's one of the best concerts he's ever been to, but the first human being that Michael Bublé said a word to was Troy Duran. I love it. That's right. So Michael Bublé has spoken to two of your kids? of my four children, <laughs> we got to get the others. You know, uh, seriously, isn't that? I mean, that's, that's kind of cool. That's very cool in two very different circumstances. You're right. right, but he's a lovely man. Yeah, from, it sounds from, like it. it. Sounds like it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I mean, who knows who someone mm-hmm. is? But he seems very lovely. Mm-hmm. December twenty sixth, nineteen thirty six. Went to work at seven. Had a tough experience this morning. A fellow accepted charges on a call and ran off without paying. I was so worried I cried. Helen came up and I rolled her hair on a pencil between calls. The fellow came and paid his money. Boy, I was glad. Came home and listened to Dean and Mother discussing Francis and Boots. Jack called and came up later. We talked to the family for a while. After they went to bed, we had our private conflab. He's one grand person, and I love him. I love I love for her to be this happy. Yeah, um, that's crazy that the guy ran off without paying. What, now, what would that mean? He that, came like to he the... came to say like, oh, I need to make a call, uh-huh. and then you know, okay. called so someone. So you could make a call at the place, and then just pay for it right I there, see. like twenty five cents, fifty gotcha. cents, however long you're okay. on the call. Okay, but thank God he came He's back. Yeah. I know, but you would think I keep saying this in a town small. as small as Marble Hill. How the hell did she <laughs> not know, know that? Carl. Exactly. I mean, who was this rando coming into the phone office? I love that Dean and mother are discussing France and Boots, Mm -hmm. Francis and Boots, Mm -hmm. because they've been together a long Mm -hmm. time now. Mm -hmm. And then we'll never know what happens. What do you mean we never know what happens? With with Boots. Like, we don't know if she just dumps him or if he dumps her. I mean, we know they don't get married because she marries a Shapiro Mm -hmm. out in California. So Boots is not your great uncle. No, he's not. (laughs) He's not. Not, Nothing really else happens. Uh, She and Jack go to the movies on New Year's Eve. Mm -hmm. It's not a very eventful entry. Mm -hmm. But one Mm -hmm. cool thing that she did was at the back of the diary. Well, okay, I'll just read it to you. So she writes in the very one of those back pages, I've decided to keep an account of how much money I made during the year 1936 just to see how much I can make without steady work. Here's hoping I can get a job soon. I certainly need it. So she probably wrote this at the beginning of the year Mm -hmm. because she didn't have a steady job. But by the end of the year, Mm -hmm. she does at the telephone office. So she keeps a tally of this money. Not only does she mention her work at the telephone office, but any dances she had. Remember Mm -hmm. that guy came just in this podcast and said, let's help do some work for the Red Cross. Mm -hmm. They paid her. Mm -hmm. I just assumed that would have been volunteer. Mm -hmm. And she got some money for the typing she did for Mr. Talent. Mm-hmm. So it says, so she says, I made one hundred and five dollars during 1936, which isn't so awfully bad. I've had two hundred and twenty dates. One hundred and forty six of them with Jack, who is the sweetest person in the world. Love is grand. 
I know, I know. So that's a wrap wow. up of 1936. Yeah. We're just cranking these out. Yeah, yeah. And this is a nice way to end it. She's ended mm-hmm. her year with a sweet boy mm-hmm. who loves her. She loves him. Mm-hmm. Things are looking up. Dad lost a job, but now he's got a job. So things are looking good. Yeah, yeah. Seems like it. We have a couple more years to go. Few. Yeah. Actually, four. Of the diary. Right. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah. And a couple more years before we find out. Who she marries. Yeah, right. I know. It's coming, though. It's coming, y'all. Lots to look forward to. So thank you for joining us today. Mm -hmm. Don't forget about our Patreon. And also don't forget about Facebook, Instagram, uh, .com, My Grandma's Diaries. We're also on YouTube. And Mark is cranking out videos. And we're catching up to the podcast. And it's all going to sync up. And y'all are going to be so excited that you followed us everywhere. Yep. So thanks for being fans of the show. Mm -hmm. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. This is Hope from Brooksville, Florida, and you're listening to My Grandma's Diaries. Enjoy!